0: ABC Listen. Podcasts,
1: radio, news, music
0: and more. Hello, Kirsty Melville here with the History Listen. For the past couple of years, producer David Shulman has been on a quest. He's trying to find a single tree. David's a violinist and for him, violins aren't just boxes made of wood. They can be magical objects with voices and spirits. They can seem almost human. Sometimes, he says, old violins even work as a sort of time machine. By their sound and by their stories, they carry us back into the past. Now, that may sound a bit romantic, but it turns out there's solid science behind this method of time travel. You just have to find the right tree. So let's join David on his trek, in search of one tree, a very particular alpine spruce.
2: This is the story of a single tree. It was a lot like this one. Tall, some lichen on the upper branches, and surprisingly slender for its age. This tree grew high up in the Alps at a time known as the Little Ice Age. The winters were colder. The glaciers were actively expanding. And the alpine forest was forbidding and wild. Then, more than 300 years ago, someone appeared in the forest. They appreciated this tree in a different way. And with the tools they carried with them, they took it down. I'm in a forest high in the Dolomites, in the Italian Alps. Luthiers realized hundreds of years ago that these fine-grained Alpine spruce yield the ideal resonant wood for stringed instruments. Lutes, guitars, and violins, like this one. Its top was carved from Alpine spruce. And it turns out that the spruce from up here is the ideal wood not just for violin makers. These spruce are also the perfect tree for people we call dendrochronologists. Dendro for tree, chronology for time. At this altitude, the wood of the spruce directly reflects climate conditions that unfolded during the tree's lifetime. Some years the annual rings are thicker, some years thinner. And by cross-matching samples from the trunks of many different trees, dendrochronologists can establish timelines that reach back from the present far, far, far into the past.
1: I'm very careful. I mean, I will never kill an instrument unless I know for sure. That's Peter Ratcliffe.
2: He's a luthier. He's also a practicing dendrochronologist. He told me the best way to take pictures that show the tree rings on a violin, and then we connected over Zoom.
1: So you got my photographs of my fiddle, yeah? I have indeed, yeah. Uh, They are pretty perfect, and I can see everything right from the edges. Peter's actually one of the world's
2: top experts in violin dendrochronology. From his workshop in the UK, he can examine a photo of a violin and determine the earliest date that it could have been made. If the dates are right, His work can support a claim that a particular violin was made by a particular famous maker. This can add to its value, sometimes a lot. Dendro can also reveal a fraud. And Peter sometimes is compelled to deliver really bad news. As the saying goes, he has to kill a violin. More than once, Peters even had to debunk a violin attributed to the most famous maker of all time, Antonio Stradivari.
3: Now it's a critical component of anyone who's buying or selling a violin. Christopher Roening
2: is one of the world's leading violin experts and dealers,
3: and he was an early adopter of violin dendro. It's a major tool in my toolbox when I'm trying to figure out who made something. Right. And I feel sometimes a little guilty because my predecessors never had the advantage of having this dendrochronology data at their fingertips. I sort of feel like I'm cheating a little bit because I'm able to use my knowledge, my eye, my experience, but I also have this extra tool that nobody else ever had.
1: Some people have managed to create chronologies which are five or six hundred years old by sort of sampling some medieval buildings or some very old chalets. The violin I sent photos of to Peter was a bit of a
2: mystery to me. It's quite gracefully carved. There's no label, not
1: even a fake one. Now, I'm just going to put that data file through the process of cross-dating and uh, it's going to take about 12 seconds or so.
2: <laughs> I have to admit, I'd spent a lot of time examining this fiddle for clues, wondering where
1: it came from and what stories it could tell. And there we are. So let's have a quick look. One, two, three. So I have about 1,400 of my files yeah. that react to the ring pattern from your violin and that suggests the same date, which is 1827. 1827 being the very last ring on your violin. Ah. In 1827, the tree was still in the forest.
2: 1,400 other instruments all agreed. It was like they were all singing the date together.
3: 1827
2: 1827. That's the latest year the tree was growing in a forest like this, high up in the Alps. My fiddle's top, Peter can also tell, was made from a single piece of spruce. So if you count the rings from right to left, that's treble to base on my fiddle, you start at 1827 and you go back in time from there. You travel back to the time of Paganini. You travel back through the entire lifespan of Mozart back through the whole life of the American violinist named Thomas Jefferson, and you go back before any European set foot on the land of Australia. Back 50 years farther than that, to the year Johann Sebastian Bach wrote his Chaconne. Back even into the last years of the Little Ice Age, when glaciers expanded throughout the Alps. Back, back, back. All the way to 1696 more than three centuries ago. When Peter Ratcliffe does a dendroanalysis, occasionally, quite rarely in fact, the match between the wood of two violins turns out to be especially strong. Strong enough to say these instruments were made from a single tree. Two violins, one tree. Peter's first clue for this comes from something that doesn't seem too musical. It's a statistical indicator called T value. T -T value.
1: T values the level of relationship, uh, uh, put uh-huh. in sort of simple words, uh, between two pieces of wood.
2: My Fiddle's test didn't turn up any same tree siblings, but over decades of testing thousands and thousands of violins, Peter has identified a special group of 22 instruments. Their T-values and other important criteria match up extremely closely. So closely, they pretty much have to have been carved from a single log of spruce, one tree, 22 violins. So I got pretty excited to ask Chris Rooning about this one. All these violins were built between 1708 and 1718, and by just one maker whose name you probably know. Yeah, Stradivari, <laughs> yeah. One tree, 22 Stradivaris. He worked the wood of this tree again and again. It was during his so-called golden period when he made his most fabulous and most coveted instruments. They are the strads of all strads. And Peter's extensive databases don't show any other maker having access to this special tree. It was just Antonio Stradivari.
3: Stradivari was very successful. He was working there with his sons, creating a, quite a number of instruments. And the fact that he would buy, let's assume he bought a whole, several whole trees that he liked. When you're using the same tree over and over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. you can really hone in on what it takes to make that really sound good. Does it need to be thinner or thicker? Does it want a full arch? Does it want a flatter arch? He liked the wood quality in this tree. And he used it consistently for a period of time until it was used up and moved on to the next tree or two. I think that's fantastic and very enlightening about his methods.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, this one tree, what are we talking about the value of the instruments that came from that tree?
3: So the record price for a Stradivari golden period is about $20 million. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of them are only worth six or seven million. So take an average of uh, 14 million, let's say, and times however many came out of that one tree and that's your number. Let me get the calculator. Yeah. 14 times 22 million
2: dollars. So that's 308 million dollars.
3: Yeah, that's a valuable tree right there.
2: Yeah, it makes you wonder about the tree next door, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you look through violin books, you'll see that many of Stradivari's violins have been given names. From just this one tree, there's the Medici Strad, the Empress Katerina, the Boissier, there's also the Allard, the Leonora Jackson, and the Cremonese. The Cremonese Strad is named for Cremona. It's the town where Stradivari lived and worked well into his 90s. I'm in Cremona now, sitting on a park bench near the spot where Stradivari's workshop used to stand. There's some guys playing dominoes in the park. The building that held Stradivari's workshop was torn down in 1938. But 300 years ago, within a block or two of this park bench, you'd find the workshops of several of the greatest violin makers who ever lived. Cremona today is again a busy center of all things violin. Near the main piazza, there's a museum, the Museo del Violino. Inside, you can find rare instruments by the Amati's, the Guineris, and Stradivari. Bene.
1: Adesso saliamo al museo. Amati.
2: Gesù. To be invited to play one of these instruments, you need to be a special violinist. The keeper of the keys is curator Fausto Cacciatori.
1: Prego. Ecco qua. È tutto tuo.
2: Grazie. That's virtuoso soloist Fabrizio von Arx.
4: <laughs>
2: On this day, he's been given the chance to play the prize violin of the museum's collection. That's the Cremonese strad, or the Cremonese, as the Italians say. I asked Fabrizio what it's like to play it.
4: Of course, a big emotional sensation, uh, I- incredible, because every time that you take a stradivari in your hand and start playing, the space at the time disappears. He he had the vision of the sound of the future. You're able to interpret not only the music of the time of Stradivari, but also the contemporary music.
1: It's,
4: It's a time machine for the feelings.
2: Have you actually played the Cremonese before? No, this is the first time. This is the first day you've played the Cremonese? that's also incredible. So when you first set your bow to the strings today, what did
4: you hear and feel? I don't know. I feel that I played this violin uh, (laughs) a lot of times, all my life. (laughs) We cannot explain really with words.
2: After Cremona, I flew to Los Angeles. I went there to visit an eminent surgeon. He's a urologist named Dr. Bill Sloan. Dr. Sloan also makes violins.
5: Some people think that your training in surgery gives you some ability as a violin maker. I would like to hope that's true, but there are many famous violin makers who are not surgeons.
2: I've played Dr. Sloane's violins, and they do sound good. But he's the first to admit they are no match for another fiddle he has around the house. It's a Stradivari from 1714, the one known as the Leonora Jackson. It's one of those 22 sibling violins. So here's the thing. Ever since dendrochronologist Peter Ratcliffe showed me the evidence that 22 Stradivari's share wood from the exact same tree, I'd been kind of obsessed. Would it be possible, somewhere, somehow, to reunite members of this musical family tree? These violins are all over the world now. The Cremonese Strad is in Cremona. Others are in Paris, Madrid, Los Angeles. But there is, Zoom.
1: Is oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. it evening in Corona? Yeah, it's like, it's about, it's a little after five o'clock.
1: Hello.
2: Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. I'm, here I'm here with Bill Slug. Very nice, Very nice to meet you. you. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. So, Fabrizio, what would you say if I told you that the wood of the top of this instrument, the Cremonese, and more than 20 other Stradivari's, yeah. all came from the very same tree?
4: It was a good tree, huh? <laughs> 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 really, it was, it was a good tree. The, the, the only tree. No, it's, it's amazing, huh?
5: There was a master by the name of Jacques Francais. As a youngster, I used to visit him. And he said, when you play a Stradivari, like the Cremonisi um, or the Leonard Jackson, the violin tells you exactly how to play it. If you don't do what the violin says, you will miss the beautiful sound. Yeah,
4: I, I felt this hey, exactly. The resonance is always so rich, like... Uh... Oh. The tone, every tone of each note and every vibration of this step after step is suggesting what
5: you have to do the other step. When you play a Stradivari, every note is different, has a different character, has a beautiful quality. Exactly. And as you go to the next note, it's exposing you to a new sound you never heard before. And When you go to the next note, a new beautiful sound, nothing is the same. And every time you play the same piece over again, it's a different experience, because every completely. note is a character like a voice.
4: Yeah, you know, you're right, completely right. If there is a chord that makes you, I don't know, crying or sentimental, <laughs> it picks this, is crying with you. It's like a voice, close to the human voice. That's why I think it's so human, Stradivari, that we started to give a name to this violin.
2: Bill and Judy Sloan bought the Leonora Jackson Strad about 40 years ago. Leonora Jackson was an American soloist. In the early 20th century, she gave hundreds of concerts across the United States and Europe. Bill, I wonder, would you be able to take out the Leonora Jackson so that the Leonora Jackson can meet the Cremonese? Sure.
4: Oh, oh, grandice. look the boot.
2: Fabrizio, if you had the chance to play side by side these two instruments, do you think you could tell that there was this family resemblance? <laughs> I, I, who knows, but
4: wh- why not? I have to try, so tomorrow I'm coming to Los Angeles.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so this violin was made in 1714, when Stradivari was 70 years old. Same year as Itzhak Perlman's Stradivari of 1714.
2: So, Bill, are, would it be possible to hear some of the sound of the Leonora Jackson? you want to play it. I would love for you to play it if you're willing to play just a note or two. I think you should play it. You know Please, yeah. play some notes. You need a chin rest. Wow, it just feels like it wants to lift into the air. <laughs> and I will tell you, Fabrizio, this is an extraordinary moment for me. I've never held a Stradivari before (laughs) and certainly not played one before. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Fabrizio, I just... um, This is the moment when I feel like I should try to describe what it was just like to do that. And I don't know that there are words for it. There is no words, exactly. Looking out at the spruce trees surrounding me, in this forest high up in the Dolomites, there's something about the story of this single tree growing somewhere in the Alps back in the 1600s. For the people who occasionally passed by, this tree gave no sign what music would later come from the resonant vibration of its wood. This tree grew at a time when the climate was colder. The glaciers of the Alps were still expanding rather than melting. Back then, alpine spruce might take two years to grow just a millimeter across. Yet the forest of this tree, this special violin tree, might have looked, sounded, and even had a scent in the air, much like the landscape where I'm hiking now. There are legends about where Stradivari got his wood, Fantastic stories of the great maker himself venturing into the alpine forests, tapping spruce trunks, listening and somehow divining that he'd found the tree. Tourist markers even suggest that Stradivari's wood came from a particular spot. But... Many violin experts say those are romantic fantasies. When I was back in Cremona, I asked Peter about it. This tree that was the source of this wood on the top of 22 of Stradivari's violins, can dendrochronology tell us where this tree actually grew?
1: Sadly not.
2: We can say when. We can even say which tree. But to say where we would need a different way to travel back in time. Now, we can say this much. It's possible that the spruce trees Stradivari carved into 22 violins grew in this forest in the Alps, where I'm walking now with my violin. It is also possible that the tree Stradivari used grew in the next valley over, or five valleys over, or that it grew in a remote, equally charmed spot far across the mountains to the west, somewhere else high up in the Alps.
0: Our story, One Tree, was written, recorded and produced by David Shulman. Also a violinist, David wrote and performed original music we heard in this episode. Michelle Rayner was our editor. Marco Reap travelled to Cremona's Museo del Violino to record violin soloist Fabrizio Von Arx. Besides his concert schedule, Fabrizio is artistic director of the Casa Stradivari, based in the very building where the famed Luthier established his very first workshop. And for helping us give voice to the Alpine Forest, a special thanks to these folk.
1: Georgetown University Chamber Singers, directed by Professor Frederick Vinkolder.
0: We also heard recordings of Golden Period Stradivari's played by Ruggiero Ricci and Itzhak Perlman. And finally, very special thanks indeed to the Museo del Violino for offering us access to the Cremonese Strad and to Dr Bill Sloan for sharing with us its sibling violin, the aptly named Leonora Jackson. Leonora Jackson was a virtuoso soloist in her own right. That's a story for another day. I'm Kirsty Melville, and I'll catch you for another History Listen next time. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.